Hello, and welcome to the Essentials Podcast. I'm Alden. And I'm John. And in this podcast, we talk about a lot of different things. We talk about our lives. We have guests on to talk about fun topics, dig into really what makes them tick, and uh, just get different perspectives on the world. Without further ado, uh, let's get into it. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome back. We got another episode uh, of the Essentials Podcast on our hands. Um, I'm here with Alden, and then also with our guest here, uh, Nate Kimball. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad. I'm glad to have you here. How's it going? Yeah, man, it's going all right. It's another beautiful summer day on the farm, so can't go wrong there. Yeah. Um, can you can you tell us what um, what sort of environment we're in right now? I mean, you sort of mentioned it, but so the Essentials Podcast travels um, with. With uh, our guests, we go to wherever our guests are. So we kind of like to give us, give the listeners some background on where we are. So yeah, absolutely. So we're currently in, uh, we're on my family farm. There's three generations of my family that live here, um, and the building we're in is an old barn that I rehabbed into a studio for my wife, who's a photographer. So it's a good place. Like we tend to do a lot of things here if we want to get out of the main house, whether it's like spend time to ourselves or. Obviously, she does her work here, but if we're talking and we need some privacy, this is where we go. So it's a great spot. This is so cool, too, because it's built for lighting. This is a photography studio. Yeah. So it's just like white walls, white ceiling, everything. She basically told me, put in as many windows as you possibly can. So that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing beats a good good old natural light. So Yeah, yeah it's great. I, this, is, this place, I come out here a lot, actually. So it's one of the most relaxing places for me on the planet. It's um, good to hear. So 20, it's, we're like 20 miles away from where John and I usually live. Um, out in Ann Arbor, it's in Chelsea, so pretty nearby and a great place to get away from the noise of the more crowded city. So. Yeah, man, for real. Like I work in Ann Arbor and as I drive west, I can almost like feel my heart rate slow, you know, like as you slowly work your way out of the city and, and there's more fields and, and barns, et cetera. So by the time I get here, I'm pretty, I'm pretty relaxed. Excellent. I specifically wanted to have you on the show because of something you said a couple weeks ago when we were spending some time together. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I talked to you. I talked to him about it beforehand. Don't worry. I, uh, we were talking about um, just our lives, anxiety. We were talking about just a bunch of different topics. Um, and it came up that you, Nate, had really regretted a work decision you'd made a long time ago. Yes. I'm. Yes, that's absolutely true. I was curious to hear about it because um, the, literally the last person we had on to record um, no, it wasn't the last person. It was just me and John talking. And we were talking about uh, how we live our lives or how John lives his life and to try to like look forward toward the future. Yeah. And um, I was like, holy crap. When you had said that, it was like the day after we had recorded. I was like, mm-hmm. this is, I, I'm getting the timing all messed up. But I was like, you had mentioned um, a regret you'd had about work. And so I wanted to ask first, what do you do now? And then we can dive back into Yeah, I'm currently on staff at a church in Ann Arbor. I'm the executive pastor, which basically means everything that's sort of uh, systems, data, uh, processes, that's all what I do. So people are always like, when do you preach? And thankfully for everyone involved, I never preach. So everyone's thankful for that, including me. No, that's great. You, uh, you, you're the glue that keeps the church together. I mean, I, uh, yes, others would say that. Sometimes I wonder, but others would say that. Yeah. <laughs> Is it a stressful job? Uh, it depends. It depends. I would say sometimes yes. The hard part about working for a church is that 
you're required to sort of operate in multiple dynamics or wear like multiple hats. So you have the dynamics that most people are are used to where like you have a boss employee sort of relationship, right? But then you also have this thing where like in a church, you're supposed to be friends. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but there are lots of other places where you could work. You show up, you clock in, you don't have to like the people you work with, right? Like you go home and you just forget about it. But at a church, a friend, being a friend is a hat that you really have to wear. So that's like another layer. And then there's also sort of like this spiritual layer that can get tricky, where if you're a pastor, your employees are also kind of like the people in your congregation. It just, it's, it's not, I don't always find it stressful, but it's always complicated to, to kind of figure out which hat are we wearing right now? Like which conversation are we having? Am I your boss? Am I your pastor? Am I your friend? So that takes a lot of, a lot more work than I think, because I've worked in industry for, for years and years, and it's just more complex than that. So would you say it's more like, like I imagine it like, uh, it's very low efficiency based what you're saying. Like I imagine the job I am, it's like completely, you know, if I produce, I get paid. If mm-hmm. you're like, well, crap, <laughs> someone's fighting and we can't just fire them. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, that is absolutely a dynamic. And it's one of those things where you're, you're constantly, I, I tend to think of working for a church as life in the midst of tensions where two things are true at the same time. So it's like, look, we all have a job to do, but in reality, you can't do a church job well if you're not in a good place personally, Mm -hmm. right? Like you can't care for other people if you're an emotional wreck or you can't love other people if your mental health is, you know, in a, in a terrible place. So there's always this tension of saying like, look at, I look at this person and it's like, okay, they're producing well, but if their home life is a mess, then in some ways I don't care how well they're producing because I know it's like eventually going to end. Right. Or if someone's home life is great, but they're not producing very well, I'm kind of like, well, I'm going to let that slide a little bit because I believe sort of the best about someone. And I believe that they can sort of like rise to the occasion. So that's just a tension you live in when you're in any sort of a, like a, like a supervisor position at a church. I'm curious, do you think you're like especially suited for this kind of role uh, personality wise? Unfortunately, yes. (laughs) Uh, I have, (laughs) I, I have started and left ministry numerous times. Um, And most of that, I think would probably, I would bring that back to saying like, well, Nate just had some growing to do, you know, like I just, I just had to grow up a little bit. Um, but I, I, I think I am u- uniquely gifted for church work, uh, especially like the administrative side of church work, because it's a part that, um, people don't go- start into ministry hoping to like sit in the office and work behind the scenes. They, uh, most people don't like, they want to preach or they want to care for people or they want to pastor people or they want to lead small groups or they, you know, or they want to lead a Bible study, right? Um, but there's, you know, if you have an organization, there's all of these sort of organizational needs that are non-negotiables, you know, like there is a budget, right? Like people need to get paid. You need to have like human resources. Um, you know, you need to have systems if you're, if you're ever going to not be reinventing the wheel, like over and over and over again. And I'm really good at all that stuff. So to have that paired with, which is a legitimate sort of call to ministry, means that, yeah, honestly, this is like a perfect fit for me. And I've tried to get away from it numerous times. And I don't like, I don't know if your listeners are spiritual or not, but I keep 
as I keep moving back into it, eventually I said, like, look, I, I, I'm, I'm, I have to stop, like, fighting against what, what I'm actually sort of called to do. What, what would, so it's, it, you've, I'm trying to figure out how to ask this. It seems like if you've been driven away, from, like, you've been in a ministry, and then you would go away, and then you'd come back, and go, what would, like, yeah. drive you away? So that's a, that's a perfect example of where the hats get complicated, Right. Like um, there have been times where uh, I have been in. This was one of my first jobs. I I just got in a huge fight. I just didn't get along with like my boss, who was the lead pastor. This was in another city, you know, like decades ago, literally like right out of college. Um, And, you know, so even though I think maybe I could have done the job, our interpersonal relationship was so stormy that it just. It just didn't work, right? And that in some ways turned me off to lots of the other hats, which I don't think it needed to do. I I don't think it needed to mean that I didn't love sort of the work that I had to do or that I didn't feel called to the ministry. It just meant that this dude and I could not be friends. And that unfortunately has led to the dissolution of a lot of sort of uh, faith-based partnerships or, or staff relationships. What do you think of that? I think it's complicated. I think that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, um, it's start it's starting to materialize, you know, in my okay. head. I yeah. like I like. So you mentioned like well, I don't know what your listeners, you know, are like. I don't know what my, our listeners are like yet either. <laughs> okay, <laughs> we haven't heard much from our listeners yet. But so I would imagine. Uh, but what we mean, John, try to do is we try to just hear people's stories. Mm. So yeah. different perspectives, whether it's Christian based, whether it's not. Yeah. It's yeah. like. Come on and let's hear it. So awesome. Um, then I so, won't apologize. Yeah, exactly. Don't apologize because <laughs> okay. uh, if there are people out there listening who jive with your story, maybe they'll show up to Grace Ann Arbor sometime and try to meet you. There right? you go. If you, you see me, know. I always wear a red plaid shirt, so that's how you'll recognize. <laughs> it's true. It's like uh, what's his name, the Facebook guy, uh, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Zuck. Zuck, the Zuck. He's got like just gray shirt jeans. That's I mean, it. legitimately, I just picked a uniform several years ago because I was really tired of having to decide what I wore in the morning, and I really didn't care very much. And so I just was like, "Look, I have I have like six of these red plaid shirts. I have like five pairs of gray pants. That's it. And if you get lucky, you might see a beanie. <laughs> yeah, if it's cold, <laughs> if it's any time between like October and March, a beanie is actually there's a high probability." <laughs> Fifty <laughs> percent chance of being. Yeah. I mean, no. This is this is the truth. So I'm bald, right? I lost my hair at an alarmingly young age, uh, but my head gets super cold. So really, I put a hat on in like September, October, and I pretty much don't take a hat off until like March or April. I mean, I'll wash my hats, right? I as in terms of my uniform, I also have. I picked a hat I like, and I have four of them. But that hat stays on. I sleep in it. I like, I mean, <laughs> legitimately, I wear it 24 7. A little tea cozy. Yeah, dude, it's awesome. <laughs> keeps my lid, keeps my lid warm. That's <laughs> uh, so good. Um, let's take a little bit of a trip back in time. Okay. Um, so, what kind of careers have you had in the past, I guess? Because it, it sounds like you've been going back and forth a little bit. We can focus in on one if you'd like. Is there anything specifically you think you'd like to focus on? Well, I think I spent the most time in industry. Most of my time was spent um, as a stockbroker, 
which again, like if you could see me now, I'm literally, I'm smelly. I'm covered in like sawdust and dirt because I'm, I was working in the workshop, but I was a stockbroker for over a decade. Uh, and I went from kind of being on the sales side of it, which I did not enjoy to running, uh, an office for a really successful financial planner, um, and sort of overseeing his support staff. I mean, honestly, it's not that much different than what I do now as an executive pastor, which is like, there's a boss who kind of sets the course, you know, in, in, in the church, it's like the lead pastor and I kind of make everything happen. And that's the same role I was in. You know, I did that for a decade. And and when you talked earlier about sort of like regrets, that was the season or there were parts of that season of my life that I deeply, deeply regret to this day. So what happened? Maybe that's too vague. Well, here's here's what we're, where we will start. Um, I was a stockbroker when my kids were really young, like still being born, honestly, you know, um, and uh, there's a, there's sort of like a, a mindset when you're in the money industry, um, the mindset is greed. I mean, that's, there's no, there's really, there's no other way to say it. Like if you're in the money industry, greed is what drives everything. Like in many ways, your ability to sell something to someone is based on speaking to either their greed or their fear. Like it's basic sales. You speak to their greed or you speak to their fear. And so that, you know, as much as we would like to separate ourselves from that, being in the industry, you're not immune to that. And so what I started to do was, um, while I was working a, a more than, more than full-time job as a, as a stockbroker, although I was really mainly managing the client base for this, for my boss, I was like, Hey, I'm going to start day trading. Like I'm, I'm, I'm going to like, the easiest way for me to achieve my goals is to make enough money to be able to afford it. What were your goals back then? I, ironically, my goals were living the life that I'm living right now, which is like I wanted to live on a farm surrounded by people that I love and sort of like have it be a place where people came and gathered and found joy and found peace. Um, but because I was so sort of embedded in the financial industry, the only vehicle I could imagine for that was money. I was like, it's, this is going to take millions. So that's my goal. Millions are my goal. And then I can sort of buy the perfect property and pay people to do sort of the upkeep and I'll just fund it. That's really, that's really kind of what my motivation was. So I, I'm, uh, maybe, I, maybe I was talking to you about this, Alden, but literally I would get up at two in the morning to trade the European markets. And I would trade until I left for work at eight o'clock and then I would work until six and then I would come home and I would eat dinner and then I would fall asleep so that I could be up at 2 a.m. the next morning. And I did that not for like weeks, not for months. I did that for years. I mean years where I was perpetually sleep deprived, perpetually absent from my family, perpetually chasing like the next dollar just relentlessly it was horrible <laughs> <laughs> well where you had those like long-term effects are we realizing later on were you seeing like the short-term success of it like was that what was fueling you or is it just a long-term goal that was fueling you the whole time so uh day trading is a tricky thing and i like day trading is a tricky thing because um you tend to remember your wins and 
ignore your losses. It's a lit. It's a. It's probably honestly, day trading is closer to gambling than it is to like investing or like being an entrepreneur. It really is. So I was driven. I certainly had some success, not enough success to to see any of my dreams come to fruition, but enough success that I sort of like. I stayed on the hook a little bit. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, but uh, that was more what it was. Again, when I think back to that season of my life, I'm like, that was, it felt more like gambling than it did. I mean, it, and at the end of the day, I think I probably broke even, again, after like years of trading, just honestly. Um, but in in there were parts of that where I was up really high. You know what I mean? And you're like, this is going to work. Like, I can't wait. And then there were seasons where I like just couldn't, get a win to save my life. And I just lost and lost and lost and ended up kind of back where I started. Uh huh. And what, I guess how, so I can understand how old were you kind of when that season started and when, how old were you when you stopped? Um, let's see. That was probably, I was probably like 30, I think when I started it, you know, I mean, I was a broker, um, between the ages of probably like 25 and 35. And, and the, the day trading was sort of like right in the middle of that. And, um, what, what kind of jolted out of it? Cause you're a pretty consistent guy. Like now that I know you as you are, I didn't, I never knew you back then. I'm only 20, 21. So like you weren't even born. When you started, probably not. When were you born? Don't tell me when were you born? Yes. You were going to guess. And then you stopped it. 99. That's kind of pointless because you, okay, 2000. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. So you were, you were just a baby when I was doing this. Okay, That's the truth. Yeah. That's pretty crazy. What the heck? <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so I guess what I'm curious is uh, about is, um, what, so that, that gives me context. What got you out of it? Yeah. Uh, this is where, this is, um, this is literally the greatest regret of my life that we're talking about right now. I'm not this. I'm not saying that for dramatic effect. Um, I mourn. I, I I mourn those years because what ended up happening was my daughter when she was um, like thir- just over a year, thirteen months old or something. Uh, she got really really sick, and the doctors didn't know what was wrong with her. But it was, but she was sick enough that we took her to the ER. And my wife was literally like eight months pregnant at the time. So her staying overnight was not, wasn't feasible, right? So I'm like, oh, it's no problem. I'll stay. And I, and I, I remember sitting in the hospital and my daughter sat on my lap and she cried for her mom the entire night. Not like, oh, she cried for her mom and then she went to sleep. She cried for the entire night. And what I, rem- I remember sitting there being like, thinking like, my daughter is so sick. We don't know what's wrong. But even, not even worse than that, but as bad as that is that she finds no comfort in my presence. I have been non-existent. She just, I'm a stranger to her, you know? I would, I would leave shortly after she got up. I would get home, kind of eat dinner and be a jerk at the table and then immediately go to bed. I was, I was a stranger to her. And so she cried all for her mom all night long. And I sat there and I thought to myself, what have I done with the past year that my child finds zero comfort in my presence? Like, man, 
everything else that I had been chasing, like everything else that I thought was important, it literally just disappeared in that moment where I thought like I could make millions. And if my daughter does not know me, it means nothing. It means worse than nothing. It is actually what's come between me and what I would say and feel is most important to me in the entire world. And that like literally, man, it was like a punch in the gut just over and over all night long. She didn't sleep. She cried for her mom all night long. And I thought I have wasted, I have wasted my life. That's, I mean, that's literally, I was like, I have wasted my life. It was, I still, when I think about it, I get choked up because it was just a horrible, horrible, horrible mistake. Um, no, that that's definitely a harsh reality. This sort of it all sort of just makes sense. Just a moment of like enlightening. Yeah, and then you've got that physical thing to really keep you. I mean, in some ways, I you know that's a good point. I, I do I do in some ways feel thankful. I'm a very you know Alden called me consistent. Others would call me annoyingly stubborn like I, you know probably your wife during yeah, those years. Right. <laughs> i'm slow to change but there was no way to miss that message you know it just everything came together like in this moment and i think apart from that well i know that there were other things that i could have clued into there's other things that i could have taken as signs that i was on the wrong path it really took something that dramatic to get my attention and so for that i'm thankful right? Like she was a year old. Um, my life has taken a very, very different turn since then. Uh, but what I mourn is that I was so stubborn for so many years that I, I just, I, I just didn't see it. Right. I mean, here's another story. After I stopped being a stockbroker, we had a friend over for not a friend, like someone we had just met over for dinner. And we were just kind of talking about my transition out of the brokerage industry. And my son, Gabe, who's about your guys' age, he was 10 at the time. And he said, um, man, this also, this is just so hard for me. Uh, he said, my dad is happy for the first time in 10 years. And again, like you just have this feeling of realizing my son has only known me as an unhappy person. He has only known me as someone who is angry and disappointed and stressed and uh, and unhappy. Like, that is what he has known. And so he said it as sort of like a rejoicing, like, my dad's finally happy. And in my mind, I'm doing the math. And I'm like, dude, you're only 10 years old. Like, if, if you know that this is the first time that I'm happy... You have experienced me. Can I say? Can I say the word asshole on your podcast? You have only known me as an asshole for your entire life, and that is, as a dad, I'm just going to tell you that's heartbreaking. He read you like a book. <laughs> yeah, dude. Again, I mean, he like he just knew what was going on, and so if we're going to talk about lessons, here's where it gets. You know, he as adults, we often think like, oh, the kids are young, kids are resilient, like they'll sort of bounce back from this, or they'll be thankful for this when they're teenagers. And what I realized again in that moment is like, oh my gosh, he's 10. Like if you've seen a 10 year old, they're, they're babies, like what do they know? But he was clued in to the sort of emotional brokenness of the way that I was engaging with work and with the world at that age. And so as grownups, we'll often think like, oh, they'll bounce back. It'll be fine. But um, man, the lesson that I learned is like, no, like there is no, 
there's no season where you can say, I will sacrifice my family in the pursuit of success and I'll make up for it later. That is a lie, again, to get Christian straight from the pit of hell. That, that's not true. And I know tons of people that have done that. And the trick is that that season never ends. And you chase success and you chase success and there's always another dollar and there's always another accomplishment and your family suffers and suffers and suffers. And from experience, I can tell you, it's just, it's not worth it. It's absolutely not worth it. And everything that I ever wanted, I have right now in a, from a completely different avenue from what I was pursuing. I don't mean to get preachy. I'm going to apologize. I don't mean to get preachy, but that's I, what you do. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Actually, I don't preach. Thankfully, I, this oh, is, yeah. this is how, no, this is how I do it though. Um, you know, and so again, I would just say that like, man, I, I know it personally and I still cannot think about those two experiences with my kids without choking up that pain. It like, in some ways it has, it has diminished, but it, I feel like it might never go away. Like I might never feel like, um, uh, I might, that, that, that will always be painful. It will always be painful to know that I caused the people i love the most pain that they, that they, it just, it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair. Wow. That's an, inc- that's a really incredible story. I mean, I'll tell you when my daughter got better, I went and I quit my job. So was it like a complete like um, 180 degree turn? Like you saw what needed to be done and immediately did it? Or was there a period where like, this is, I can still sort of make this work. I'm living a comfortable lifestyle. Maybe I just change a few things. Uh, It's a great question. I mean, I'll say this. My daughter was in the hospital for three months and I literally lived at the hospital. I would come home. I would go to the hospital straight from work. My wife would have been there all day. Um, I would like grab fast food on the way. And then I would, she would go home and uh, I would sleep there for the night. And then in the morning she would come back with a clean change of clothes for me. I would put on my clothes and I would go to work and I would work. And then after work I would come back. So I had months to sort of process again, painful, but Nate is like stupid and stubborn. And it's like, that's what I needed in order to like, for it to get through. I had months to sit there with my daughter, you know, all night and just sort of like, I I mean, there was literally a point because the doctors didn't know what was wrong with her. There was a point where they were, they were kind of like, look, we don't know what your daughter is sick with. We don't know if she's going to recover from this. And again, as a dad, like you sit there and you think, if she she if she never comes out of this hospital what what will any what will any of the early mornings or late hours have been worth nothing nothing they won't have been worth anything and so i had weeks and months to to churn that over in my mind which now i look back and i'm like oh that was a gift again i probably needed that um but uh i I went in when she was better and finally out of the hospital, I went in and I quit my job and tried some other things. I wish I could say that, that I uh, was able to unlearn sort of my workaholism. I was not, that'd be a great, 
Man, wouldn't that be a great story? That would be <laughs> all too easy, though. <laughs> but unfortunately, reality doesn't work that way. And uh, it took me, and still is taking me years and years and years to learn a new way of being. Um, and, uh, and I, yeah, it's just, it's taken me years. It's taken me years. And there were, and there were even, even when I moved from sort of the brokerage industry back into ministry, um, I was still and still am sort of prone to like just cranking out hours and hours and hours. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I can almost feel like it's almost easier because you have to wear so many different hats. Oh, and... yeah, man. You're doing it for Jesus, baby. <laughs> exactly. like, like you're Don't bother me, honey. <laughs> That's right. I'm working for Jesus now. Can you make now? those kids shut up? I'm trying to save the world. Yeah, like 100%. Um, and then, and again, you know, in some ways I'm really well versed for like the farming life because again, the work never stops. And so it's been, for me, it's been, it's been really, it's been a lifelong lesson to learn how to work hard, but also primarily be present for the people I love. I'm still learning it. I don't, I would never, never profess. My therapist would tell you I'm nowhere near to having it <laughs> mastered, but that certainly is, that certainly is the balance I'm trying to live. So it wasn't, it wasn't immediate. And it, I would say it's still, you know, those, in some ways, the, the as long as it takes you to get into that kind of crap, it takes you that long to get back out of it. So considering that it took me 30 years to sort of find myself in that hole, I, the fact that it's taken me another 15 and I'm not out of it yet, I'm kind of like, all right, like we'll, we'll give myself, we'll give myself a, you know, some, a break for that. I think that's how long it's going to take to get it sorted. Oh, absolutely. And like you mentioned, I'm, I'm also curious. So you it you see all the hard things like those are the very very hard memories that come to the surface, um, yeah. in the hospital and stuff. But I kind of almost see it as like a chick coming out of the egg. Like you you it's like a wave of disappointment in yourself. But if you look at it like an awakening in a way, it's like new beginning. And it's like from there, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure I'd love to hear if there's any like amazing memories that started to pop up. Well, I mean. I, I, it was definitely, you know, if you talk about sort of life courses, it was definitely a fork in the road. And my life since that, you know, has been full of all the things that I wanted, like I said earlier, but I thought only money could provide. And I'm thankful to, to be able to say to you and all of your listeners, that's not true. <laughs> like the valuable things, it's true that money helps. Like, don't get me wrong, man. Like when a tractor breaks or when the roof is leaking, like money is pretty much what you need. Um, but there are lots of things that, that a lot of good memories that are not a part of money at all. You know, I moved into a role where I was working for a church uh, less than full time, um, because I wanted to be around more for my family. And so I, I realized this was crazy, but like in my thirties, I realized that I love to cook. I didn't know that I cooked all of our meals for years because my wife doesn't really like to cook. She does it because she loves us. I love it. I, this was a whole area of my life that I just didn't even know existed. Um, and it's still something that I can easily sort of like fall into when I really just want to do something I enjoy. So the, those kind of things, like they just like those things never would have happened. I mean, if you're tired by 8.30 p.m., you're not thinking about cooking dinner for the crew. You're just not. You're just not. Um, you know, yeah, being around, being around, I would say that it's been, again, a lifelong lesson for me to try to be 
I think I'm more present for my kids now than I, than I have ever been. And that feels really good. Um, you know, to, to be able to say like, look, I have a really close relationship with all of my kids. Ah, we fight, you know, whatever. And they forget to do their chores and I can still be sort of a grump or whatever, but by and large, man, when they need something, I'm there. They know that. And I can feel that. And that is just, again, it's one of those things that money can't buy. It just can't. Do you remember in the hospital when did your daughter ever start to like find comfort in you back then? You were there for so long. Yeah, I I mean, she must have at some point. She really must have because I was there every single night. Um, I, don't, I don't think I can necessarily remember a moment. Um, no, I can't remember a moment, but that must have been the case. And again, you know, she's, what, she's like 17 now, and we have a great relationship. We honestly do. I'm, I'm curious to sort of dive into... Um your your work ethic um as i talk to people in my um, circles um the idea the the concept of a work ethic is something that comes up quite often i would um i would say that i strive to have like a really a really good work ethic Mm -hmm. um and as i work to get better and better at that um i would largely attain my success in that to the way i was brought up um like as the way i was um nurtured um for you, do you, do you think um, your work ethic was something that you were shown by your parents or and someone external, or do you think that's just sort of the way you are? Um, I, I think it's both. I think, you know, if we're talking nature and nurture, I think it's both. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about, before the podcast started, we were talking about the Enneagram, which is its own sort of rabbit hole. Uh, but my Enneagram number is called, like, the reformer. In other words, like... Like if I am passionate about something, I will work endlessly to try to see the world made right. So that that's definitely, that's inherent to who I am. But again, man, like my dad started his own business uh, when I was in late elementary school and just worked all the time. He just worked all the time, you know. Um, and again, I don't know how he feels about that. I know that it provided for our family. I know that it kept a roof over our heads and kept food on the table. And sometimes that was like a really, that was a big ask for him to do the kind of work that he did. So it's, it's, it's both. It's both. I think, I think what I try to navigate, well, let me ask you, what, where do you draw the line between, let's say, work ethic and what someone might define as workaholism? I think being able to detach from work um, and not feeling that need to continue to be drawn into what it is, your, your work goals or whatnot. I so desperately wish I could have given that answer in my 20s. I legitimately do. I legitimately do because I was unable. Um, and so, you know, there's there's... I feel like my weaknesses, most of our weaknesses are the opposite side of a strength, right? So like my workaholism is the opposite side of a strong work ethic. But what I couldn't do and what you've so sort of eloquently communicated is I I would, I could not turn that part of my brain off. And I don't, again, I don't know if that's because I was wired or if it's the model that I saw, but I could not do it. And so for me, there was never a point where enough was enough. It just didn't exist. Um, and so the fact that you can say that for me, like brings me hope <laughs> legitimately because I, I couldn't, I couldn't say that. I wouldn't even have known what you were talking about. 
I mean, again, I'm telling you, man, I was up at 2 a.m. every morning in front of multiple computer screens, training, trading. Um, that's not, that's not the, that's not someone who can turn off, yeah, no, <laughs> who can that, detach kind from of work. <laughs> I mean, again, the financial industry, the markets never stop. I mean, even, even sort of my draw to that, the markets never stop. So um, if, if I was looking for sort of an external marker to say, okay, now you can be done, it didn't exist. The wheel right? just keeps spinning. It does, man, all the time. So if I'd, if I'd been able to do that, man, the pain I would have saved myself and my family. So good on you, John. <laughs> yeah, no. So during um, when the peak of COVID was happening, um, I was I sort of was dabbling, as a lot of other people were, in doing day trading. Yeah. Um, and that whole, it never stops, especially um, in the crypto world. Oh, where There yeah. is no closing bell. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's it's an easy rabbit hole to fall into. Oh yeah, and especially when you start seeing just a little bit of success, you get that it's a little bit of a that feeling yeah. of like I I can do this. It's working. It's working. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, for me, and if we're going to talk about day trading, I'll just put this out there. Um, I, I think I think, and maybe you already have this line because you sound like you're healthier than I was at your age. But the the line between day trading and investing should be like the the like the size of a brick wall because they're not the same thing. And I think what a lot of people get caught up in is they're like, I should do this because it's like a long-term play. Like this is me, like this is my retirement fund. And a man, day trading is not that it's just not, it can be a business just like any other business and people, it's a skill you can learn and people can be really good at it and make a lot of money at it. But you have to put it in the category of like, this is a job, which I have to be able to detach from. And if you think of it as like, this is my future or this is my nest egg or this, like that line gets like super blurry and suddenly people find themselves like I was caught just being like, well, man, if the market's open, then I'm like, my brain is on trading and it just, it can't be that way. You have to be able to say, I'm either cutting my losses or taking my gains and I'm walking away and I'm turning off my brain for a period of time. And if you can't do that, please, please for the sake of your own health and everyone that loves you, don't trade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pretty visual thinker. When I think of like forcing a nest egg to grow, I think of like a hen just like squeezing the egg until it, <laughs> right. until it like, yeah, like you gotta grow. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's man. not how it works. Like, well, and again, then uh, we can keep talking about trading for a little bit, but the problem is that then what also happens is that you have all these emotions tied up in that, right? It's like, this is my future or like, this is my dream house or this is that car that I've wanted or this is how I'm going to be able to provide for my parents. And if you bring that into trading, you're already not in a spot where you're going to be successful. Whereas a day trader who's kind of like, look, this is what I do. This is the money. And at the end of the day, I turn off my brain or I turn off my computer or I take my losses. That is really different. There's a, there's a sort of a separation of emotion that actually makes someone a better trader. I mean, I was not a very successful trader, so I'm assuming that's what makes someone a successful trader because I was in the other camp, right? Like I had all these dreams and visions like, oh man, it's going to be amazing. Can't wait till I can like pay all the people that I love to do the things they love and be creative um, instead of just saying like, well, you know, you trade and then if nothing's there, nothing's there. Just like in, in a business is someday you don't make money, you know, you don't make a sale or you don't close a deal or, or nobody comes in the store and that doesn't 
That doesn't mean that you keep the store open longer. You don't keep the store open from like eight till 12, just hoping somebody wanders in. Right. <laughs> um, so that, that for me, that continues to be the difference between investing, which is sort of long-term and trading, which is a job. No, absolutely. Did you ever, um, or have you ever gone back to any sort of day trading or have you just left that sort of chapter in your life behind you? I have left it entirely behind. Uh, it, again, you know, it's one of those things that I think like maybe now that I'm healthier, I could re-engage with. Um, but my motivation for doing it, um, hasn't changed. And I've, and again, as a person of faith, I would say I have seen those things come to fruition in my life apart from day trading. And so I don't feel the need. I'm legitimately, man, like my goal was to make millions that I could buy a property and like be surrounded by handmade things and spend time being creative. Um, and I like, I have all that. There's no need for me to look somewhere else for that to happen. That's a, that's a pretty sweet place to be in. Uh, it is, man. I'll tell you it. I, it is. I am thankful. Not every day. I'm not that, I'm not that good, but almost every day. <laughs> I mean, almost every day I wake up and my wife and I look out the window in our bedroom and we look out at the fields and we look out at the animals and just, and say to ourselves, man, we are the we're the luckiest people alive. We are the luckiest people alive right now. It's a great place to be. I'm not going to pretend. It's great. Mission accomplished. Yeah, mission accomplished. <laughs> we're going oh home, boys. That's right. That's right. I'm all done. Nate Kimball out. <laughs> Signing <laughs> off. No, there's don't a, drop there's, our mic, please. There's a, there's a lot. There's a lot more that I still that I still dream of accomplishing. But um, but again, for me, like enjoying the journey has made all the difference. It's made all the difference in the world. There's always day trading when you're too old to move. There you go. When all I can do is like move my pointer finger and just like <laughs> click a mouse. Like, like <laughs> grandkids are like just breaking in the dough. I, I, I'm kidding. I, I know. <laughs> but uh, it sounds like we're almost strapping up. Almost. I, unless you have other things to say. We always do ask one question. Bring it. Everyone responds differently. So it's always fun to ask it. And that is, how do you define success? Wow. I, I would. Okay. I don't, uh, I'm glad everybody answers it different because I'm not sure this is the right answer. I would define success as the ability to be fully present in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. And so if you are at work, that you have the type of job that you can engage in sort of wholeheartedly and be fully present to the people you're working with and for. If you are with your family, to be wholly sort of engaged in the life and the needs and the wants and the growth that happens in the family. If you're a person of faith, when there are opportunities to engage with God, to do so wholeheartedly and not be distracted by either work or home. When you are taking care of yourself, to not find yourself in a place where work or family or whatever interrupts that. For me, that's success. And I, I, I will say, I do think that people can land in that place a lot of different ways because we're all wired differently. But that's really the place that I strive to arrive at, where whatever situation I find myself in, I have sort of the presence and the peace to be fully present. That begs the question, maybe you, you described it a good deal, but... To you, what does it look like to be fully present? Yeah, I mean, I think undistracted. Um, 
is is probably at least for me i don't know what it is for everybody else but for me distraction is the primary enemy it's the primary enemy that that because a lot of my life occurs in my head it's really easy for me to instead of um yeah like talking to you to be thinking about well what do i have to do next or like what are we having for dinner? I mean, it doesn't, it's not even necessarily big stuff, right? That's big, my life. <laughs> just thinking what's next. Oh my yeah, God. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, that. and, and, and so to, to be able to, man, all right. To, to love the people around you enough that that sort of overwhelms, um, those distractions or to be peaceful enough, kind of free of care enough to say, ah, that thing comes up, but it doesn't really matter. Like, man, that, that for me is what it looks like to be fully present and to give whatever is needed in the situation as you have it to give. No, I like that. I think, uh, I think that's a pretty, pretty neat way of defining success. Would you uh, say you are a successful person? Is that a question you also ask everybody else or is you just, are you only asking me? No, it's sort of a follow-up question. Okay. Yeah. Um... I would say that I am thrilled to be on what I would consider a path to success. I think I'm more present now than I was last year. And I think uh, last year I was more present than I was two years ago. And definitely I'm way more present than I was a decade ago. Again, like, I mean, how, how would you ever say that you've arrived? I don't know. Um, but I do know that I will reach the end of the day. And there's a, there's a, um, there's a spiritual exercise called the daily examine where you sort of like think back through the course of your day and you think through the people that you've met and you think through the opportunities you had or the choices you made and just kind of say to God, like, were you there? Was I hearing you? Was I doing what you wanted me to do? And I would say that my examines of late are filled with more, successes than failures than they used to be. So I, I'm, you know, I certainly feel like so, I'm on that road. So yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no one's perfect. Mission accomplished. Yeah, we're going on, boys. <laughs> Everything I'm hearing you say is that, well, you can't be perfect, but yes, I have like year, day to day, year to year, I am improving it, uh, toward my values, which is like. What more could you ask for? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I will say that that what is different for me now is that I, I do, I know, I know what my definition of success is. And I, I think, you know, again, I took on a lot of other definitions of success for years, whether that's money or influence or appearance or whatever. Um, and, I, and I've landed on one that I know is for me. And that, that was probably the first step, really. Can't hit something if you don't know where the where the where the bullseye is. Where the thing is. Where the what is that thing called? That little. <laughs> <laughs> can't hit the thing until the thing. <laughs> can't hit the thing if um, you don't know the thing. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, this has been an absolute pleasure, and you're an inspiration to me. And I, I forgot to mention that if without his love of cooking, I would never. I took a class by him. <laughs> That's at our right, dude. Called Men in the Kitchen. <laughs> I forgot about that. And if Nate had never realized that. I'm no like connoisseur love of cooking, but like I can handle myself in the kitchen more than I ever could. And I enjoy myself when I'm doing it. So awesome. And, and I'll tell you what, that's because of Nate's continued success. That's because of choices he's made in the past that have helped me grow as well. So awesome. That's that good is to hear, man. how it works. I think, um, 
anything else today? I, we can always we can always do another one, you know, like <laughs> later on. So it's like you can always leave it open ended in a way. Um, I certainly have said everything I have in my brain right now. How are you, John? I think we're good. Uh, yeah, I think we're looking good. Let's power it down then. Awesome, guys. Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Absolutely. Yeah, we appreciate you uh, coming on and uh, look forward to uh, next time if there is one. Next time if there is one and then next episode if there is one. Okay, of course, it's going to be another episode. But um, thank you for listening. It, is there a comment ability in Spotify or wherever you listen? Yeah, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Reach out. Let us know what you think uh, of the episode, what you want to hear, who you want to hear. All of that. We'd love to reach out with you. And thank you. Thank you, everyone.